go around and they would carry their copies of Homer and most of them actually knew it all by heart. But anyway, from Troy, they would head down to Egypt and Egypt was very unusual and it was incredibly exotic. Mostly Romans weren't that interested in other cultures. They thought the Greco-Roman culture was the best. But Egypt, it was just so undeniably ancient and so undeniably bizarre that it was an ongoing fascination for Romans. But there you would hire guides and you would arrange a um, Nile cruise, basically. And from Alexandria, you could just go up to the pyramids, which had fascinated people since Herodotus. When you were there, the shaven-headed priests of Egypt would tell the same sort of bizarre stories that they still tell today. They would be going on about um, how the pyramids went down into the sand as far as they went up. They would say that one of the pyramids had been financed by the pharaoh prostituting his daughter out. All these sorts of bizarre stories are just passed on. Now, I get the impression as I was reading your book that sex was uh, a fairly big draw for a lot of these tourists. That For some, they, they they clearly wanted to indulge, and there were places that were famous as uh, erotic uh, hotspots, I guess. Definitely. I think um, sex and travel have always been intertwined, actually. And uh, for the Romans, uh, who were a little bit sexually obsessed, it very much was so. And uh, the Bay of Naples was probably the most famous of the places to go, and especially in summer. For example, if you visited the Villa of Tiberius, you could go up there, and there would be tours showing around. They're showing the paintings from uh, Elephantus that were on his walls these erotic paintings, and hear about the Sprintrii, who were his adepts at unnatural practices, and he used to swim in the uh, his pools there, and little boys would dress up as minnows, and uh, according to Suetonius, they would swim with him and nibble at his parts as he <laughs> swam around. <laughs> But very much so, erotic art was very important, and one of the great erotic pieces was the Aphrodite of Knidos, which was over in uh, the coast of Asia Minor, and that was one of the great ones to go to. It was, cons- it was the f- actually the first female nude. The most erotic art is really in... Um, the brothels of Pompeii have some very, very interesting pieces, actually. They, um, in the brothels, they had the little stalls that the um, women worked in. Above each one was a little painting showing the prostitute's speciality. And those are still there, and they're the most popular things to see in Pompeii. In fact, there's this log jam of people trying to get in and out, you know, jabbering on in all languages, discussing these images. So sex still sells. But did you feel that the world that you were experiencing was anything like the world that uh, these ancient Roman tourists would have seen 2,000 years ago? Well, I think that the archetypal experiences of travel uh, haven't changed. The, the technology has, and the physical condition of the sites has obviously changed. But I found that when you ended up in these very unlikely situations, you can't sort of have these connections back to the past, and they would tend to be more improbable ones, like when we were lost in the you know, the mountains of Arcadia, and this you're surrounded by mist and you would basically be seeing exactly what the Romans would have seen. Or in Egypt as well. Egypt is quite an extraordinary place because what the Romans saw in the 1st and 2nd century ADs, with some exceptions, was very much what we see today. The ruins of Luxor are very much the same now as they were then. The Sphinx, the pyramids are still as amazing now as they were then. There's one that still has its limestone coping. It's called the Bent Pyramid. That's quite an extraordinary experience because when you go out there, it takes a few hours driving through the desert. Nothing around. It's just like barren to the horizon all around. And then it just rises from the road as you're coming down this this valley. And it's quite a, an incredible experience. And even though we were not on camelback, you can still have that imaginative leap and get a feeling for how ancient Roman sightseers, who were, after all, interested in the same things that we were, how it must have been very similar for them.
Tony Parate's book about traveling like an ancient Roman tourist is called Pagan Holiday. One of the best things about traveling is that feeling of seeing the world as it used to be. That's why some people can't get enough of old stone buildings, ancient temples, and tall ships. Last summer, independent producer Aubrey Ralph spent nine days living the life of a tall ship sailor, crossing the Great Lakes aboard the USS Niagara. It's a trip he'd dreamed about since he was a child. Check, check. Climbing aboard Niagara is like stepping behind the velvet ropes at a museum. But this ship is not some dusty artifact. She's alive in black and yellow ochre, smelling richly of wood and tar, rope and canvas. This is so cool. Before the Industrial Revolution, sailing ships for commerce or war were the most complicated machines on the planet, and one look is enough to see why. More than seven miles of rope, like tendons and arteries, run from the deck to her two...